song, but leading singing and preaching. I got to make sure my voice will last through the preaching today. And then we'll sing a song at the end of the service with or without my voice. We're here today in Ephesians chapter number three. We're glad to have you in church today and here with us. And it's good to have Carlos. Good to see you, Carlos. Brought some friends. I don't know your friends' names, but uh, do you want to introduce your friends? Steve and Sarah, and uh, I've, I've seen you before, but never met you, but nice to meet you. Thanks for being here today, and uh, that's good. And then Bob and, and Lou, and uh, they visited our church last year. Their church, their choir doesn't sing through the holidays or somewhere in there, and so they came and visited us last year and came back today. They're out there, and I'm like, I remember you somewhere, and then right as service started, I'm like, boom, I know. It all came back to me. It just takes a little bit of time for that to happen, so we're glad that you're here, and that's our guest to our today. Always great to have guests. And Dre, I almost, I almost couldn't recognize you, Dre. I went to your house the other day, and him and Abby were at home playing, and his hair was like, boom, just like this. And I'm like, I've never seen Dre like that. It's always combed just like that. And so I don't know what you were doing with Abby in the house. He didn't even invite me in. They must I don't know what they were doing in there. And so they were having fun. I like to see um, dads playing with their kids. That's a good thing and a wonderful thing. And so that's good. And then David, you, you, got a, you got Mo right here with you from China, right? And so I forgot. And Mo, we're glad you're here. And uh, let's welcome Mo to our service this morning. And thanks for being here with us. <coughs> I asked Mo, I said, so how do you say your name in Chinese? Mo. I'm like, oh, that's easy. Okay. Because we have, in the first service, we have a guy named David that comes, but he gave me his real name. And he's like, just call me David. Just call me David. And so... Okay, that works for me, but Mo, we're glad you're here today. Thanks for being here with us. And uh, we're here at the end of chapter number three. We've been going through since August, going through um, the book of Ephesians. And what's going to happen is on Sunday, next Sunday, we're starting a new series on Sunday mornings around our theme for the year. So what's going to happen to the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians is going to move to Wednesday nights. We're going to go through the rest of the book, but it's going to move to Wednesday nights instead of Sunday mornings. Sunday night, we're still in all the books of the Bible as we've been doing, so it'll just be a little switch. Today will be the last day that we do Ephesians Sunday morning, and then the first, not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we'll start chapter 4 on Wednesday night, and then next Sunday, we'll start our new series around our theme. You say, what's the new series? You're going to have to come next week to find out our theme for the year, and so that'll be a good thing. Now look at these verses. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by, Je- by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We've discovered a lot of things in our study through the first three chapters of Ephesians. One thing that you'll notice, the first three chapters of Ephesians are very doctrinally based. A lot of our doctrine on salvation, justification, um, so many things is found in the first three chapters. If you look at the book of Ephesians, you can break it up into two things. Chapters 1 through 3, doctrinal. Chapters 4 through 6, it is putting into practice what you've learned. So it's the practical side of it. You have the doctrinal, you have the practical side of it. Today we're finishing up the doctrinal side of things. And as we get to this passage, and we've learned so much as we've gone through here, we get to these last two verses And Paul is ending his prayer that we looked at two weeks ago for the believers there in Ephesus. And this is what you would call, it's a doxology. And that is a doxology, it means basically a word of glory or a word of praise. And Paul, as he's closing out his prayer, praises the one 
who has done all these things for us. That's where we get to today. I want you to look and I want you to see the title of my message today. In both verses 20 and 21, Paul uses two words, unto him, unto him. I want to look at that this morning, and I want you to see some glorious things about our God today. And as we go through this morning, number one, as we look at those words unto him, and we look at these verses, number one, there's a statement about God's greatness. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Paul has spent three chapters up to this point talking about and describing all the things that God has given to us as believers. He reminds us this morning, church sign to remember, we are not accidents with God. God loves you. He died for you. He saved you. You were not an accident. He saved you on purpose. You say, hey, in spite of who I am and all that I got, yeah, in spite of who I am, he chose me. That's a wonderful thought to me. I know how bad Brian is. And you all know how bad Yous is, too. Right, Lori? Anyways. But you look at this passage and you think about some things here. Just think about some of the things we've talked about over time. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are predestined to be with him in heaven when this life ends. We are secure in our salvation because the Holy Spirit has guaranteed us his purchase of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but the Holy Spirit and the Lord, he's made us alive by his amazing grace. We are saved by his grace, and not because we deserve anything, because of his grace are we saved through faith. We have all that we do in Jesus, we don't deserve any of it, but he's given it all to us. Praise God for that. We are made useful to God through grace and the power of God. We're a people who were separated from God because of depravity and because of sin, but God was able to break down and bring us near to him by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We were aliens from God. We were strangers on the outside looking in, but God saved us and reached out to us and brought us near unto him unto salvation. Because of that, we're fellow citizens today. We're in his family we're his temple, the Bible says. We are his body in the church. And there's more that Paul told us in these chapters, but I think there's enough there to let every Christian know that there's enough in the Bible that everybody should praise God for all the things that he's done in your life. One thing that we're missing today, church, is this thing of praising God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. We miss out on it. And God, God command, in the Bible, it commands us to praise the name of God. And let me ask you this morning, when's the last time you just took time and praised God for his goodness? And there are people that say, well, God hasn't been very good to me. Really? He saved you. If he did nothing else, that's more than enough to praise him for a lifetime and a lifetime beyond that. But he's done so much. There's so much to praise him for today. We need to heed the commandments that the Bible says. The Bible tells Hebrews 13, 15, by him... <clears throat> Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Psalm 47, verse 1 and 2, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord most high is terrible. That's a good thing. In Bible days and in the earlier English language, terrible is a very good thing. Like, that doesn't sound, the Lord's terrible. No, that's a wonderful compliment to God. 
He's a great king over all the earth. When people call, say that I'm terrible, I just think of old English when they call me that. <laughs> My wife will be like, you're terrible. And I'll be like, thank you. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Psalm 113, 1 through 3. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. God's people should praise the name of God. Uh, Psalm 135, 1 through 6. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good, sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant, for the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself, and Israel for a peculiar treasure, for I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. We need to get busy praising him, because we're way behind and can never give him what praise he deserves. Going through this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter number 3, Paul prays for three specific things for the church in verse 16, 17, and 18, and 19. He prays in verse number 16 that they would be filled with the power of God. In verse number 17 through 19, he prays that they would both know and live out the awesome love of God. And in verse number 19, the end of it there, he prays that they'll be able to experience the fullness of God himself. That is Paul's prayer for the church. And these three, think about that. He prays that they'll be filled with God's power, that they would both know and live out the love of God, and that they would know the fullness of God. And these three are powerful, wonderful, and glorious. But I want you to understand, and this is something every Christian should pray for. You should pray for the power of God on your life. You should pray that the love of Christ would dwell in you and that you would also live it out. And you should also pray that you would experience the fullness of God. But I want you to understand something. We could never walk in His power without His help. We could never know and show the love of God apart from His help. We could never understand the smallest truth or even understand the fullness of God without His help this morning, church. So as part of his doxology of praise to the Lord, Paul lets us know that, hey, we have help this morning. Thank, thank God this morning there's help to have the power of God in our lives. There's help for those who want to know the awesome love of Christ. There's help today for those who want to be able to experience the fullness of God. And these verses tell us about our help. We see letter A underneath a statement about greatness. We see letter A, the greatness of of his ability. While we're unable to do anything, any of these things on our own, guess what? He's able. Now unto him that's able, the scripture says. The word able means to be capable, strong and powerful. And guess what this morning, church? Our God is a God who possesses all power in heaven and in earth. Our God is the God who created everything. The Bible tells us, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Our God's a God of creation. Our God's also a God of revelation. Ephesians 1.9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Our God's the God of salvation. 
I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of what? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our God is the God of the resurrection. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Our God's a God of manifestation. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. He spoke, let there be light. And the light appeared. What a powerful, awesome God we serve today. And Paul points out the fact this morning, hey, we might not be able, but my God, He's able. I know my God's able. He's able to do marvelous things in our lives. He's able. Our God's capable and He's worthy of praise because He's able this morning. We see letter B, we see the greatness of His abundance. Paul says here that God is able to do not only what we ask or think. Think about this. But above all that we ask and think, even more than that, exceedingly above all. There's three words used there. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Not just one, there's three words. The phrase exceedingly, abundantly, above has the idea of going beyond and far beyond, above and beyond. God's ability exceeds the length of our minds. Anything you could ever ask God, his ability is far greater than what you could ever ask him for. There's no, you think about this, there's no question though that many believers, there's no question of the fact that God's able, but far too many of us fail to enjoy the privilege of seeing him do things in our lives because we fail to follow the pattern of living that is laid out before us right here in this passage. You see, when we in verse 16, when we live in his power, we're walking in his power. In verse 17 through 19, when we walk in his love, and when we are walking and filled in the fullness of the Lord, we're able to tap into the abundant power of God. When we're walking in him and in his love, and he works in us and through us to accomplish things, wonderful how it works. You see, I believe everyone saying in this room would say you want a closer relationship with God. If you're a saved child of God today, I think everyone would agree with that statement. If you say, no, I don't want a closer relationship with God, there's something wrong. And I might wonder, you know, it's not my job to figure out if you're saved or not. You better make sure with God that you're saved. That's your job to figure out, not mine. But I would say there could be a problem if your attitude is, no, I don't want a closer relationship. I would think every saved person sitting in this room, I think everybody sitting here today would say, I want a closer relationship with God. I think everyone here would say, I would like to live a cleaner life than I live. I'd like to live a more holy life. I would want, I want to honor God with my life. I think every Christian would say that. I don't think anybody would disagree with me this morning. I'm sure that there are some that, and church, do you ever ask him for that in your life? That's powerful. Have you asked him to help you live a cleaner life? Have you asked him for power? Do you realize something? His power exceeds our weaknesses. And he's able to achieve great things in our lives beyond anything that we could ever accomplish in ourselves. Thank God there's no limit to his power. Hey, this morning, our God, he can move the mountains. He can change lives. He can lift burdens. He can meet needs. And he can change the lives of substandard saints and transform them into vessels of honor for his glory. That's just a small glimpse of how great our God is. 
See, number one, there's a statement about God's greatness. Number two, there's a statement about God's grace. The grace of God is the foundation of our salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Think about this. Because of the Lord's grace towards us, he loved us. He put us in his eternal plan. He sent his son to die on the cross for us. He sent the gospel message to us. He sent the spirit of his son to convict us. He saved us when we called upon him. And his grace is available to sustain us day by day in our lives. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9 is all about. And he said to me, Paul, remember he sought the Lord three times to take his infirmity away. And this is what the Lord's response was. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Man, Paul sought the Lord three. Lord, take this away, take this away. And the Lord says, hey, Paul, my grace is enough to get you through. For my strength, the Lord says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. And Paul says, most gladly, I'd rather glory in my infirmity, or glory in my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We want to be strong. But you notice the stronger we are, the less we think we need God? We need God at all times. In our strongest moments, we need Him. But when we are strong, why do I need God's help? Hey, God, you can take a break. I got this. Why do many people have spiritual failure after a big victory? Because we get thinking we can handle things on our own. And you cannot handle anything on your own. None of us. We need, and this is important, when we're weak, that's when he's strong. Very important, don't forget it. You see, letter A underneath this, a statement about God's grace, we see that God's grace empowers us. Paul tells us that the Lord is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And this phrase reiterates what I've already said. God empowers his people to live for him. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You cannot. You cannot. I was with a Christian the other day and he was telling me, he said, you know, pastor, we need more self-help books. So I'm like, okay, let's hear your thoughts. He's like, I need to better myself. Let me, let me help everyone out in the room, and I helped him out too. You cannot make your flesh better. Paul said, I realize in me dwelleth no good thing. You cannot make yourself better. Now you have a power that can work inside of you. The key is yielding to the Spirit of God and letting him work and putting the flesh down. That's the only way you get better. You don't need a self-help book today. You need more preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit of God and being yielded to the Spirit of God and letting Him work in your life. You see, His grace empowers us. Now, we look at Acts 1.8. You can put that up on the screen for me. It says, but ye shall receive, this is a promise to the disciples, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. See that word power? That same power is found 
Right here in our passage, we're looking at in Ephesians 3, verse number 20, according to the power that worketh in us. It's the same exact word, and it refers to an inherited power or a power that resides in a thing because of its nature. And when the Lord moved into your life, He came with His power, and He came into you to enable you to love Him and made it possible for you to be able to live the Christian life. So many people say, I can't live the Christian life. That's right, you can't. I can't live the Christian life. But God's given us the power inside of us to be able to live the Christian life. And that power's inside there. The problem is, are we yielding and letting that power work, or are we doing everything in our own power? And most Christians don't experience the things of God because we're trying to do things in our own strength. And what, did, what did the Lord remind in the Old Testament there, Zerubbabel? Not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how you're going to get somewhere in the Christian life. The Lord enabled Paul to preach for his glory. What Paul said about his preaching in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul said, my words, my speech, there wasn't a lot of men's wisdom found in there, but it was a demonstration of the power of God. How important that is. <coughs> and we see that Paul enabled him, or the Lord enabled Paul. And the Lord wants you to know this morning, church, his grace is sufficient for you this morning. He's able to empower you for service. He's able to empower you to live for him every day you spend in this world. His grace, it will empower you this morning. We see letter A, that His grace empowers us. Letter B, His grace enlivens us. Paul says, according to the power that worketh in us. The power to live from the Lord, for the Lord, comes from Him. But it comes from within. And how is it possible for all of that to work? It's possible because He lives inside of us. When we get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us and the power of God is there and we can live for Him. That's why we go back to Galatians 2, verse number 20. I'm crucified with Christ, but look at what Paul says. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you see, church, this morning, when we yield ourselves to him and allow him to flow from us, we will live lives that are pleasing to God and will be empowered by him. And thus, God will use us to glorify him in this world as we live for him. And as we allow him to live through us, he fills us with his life and he is seen through us. And he's glorified. And he uses us as lights in this world. You see, Paul says there at the end here in Ephesians 3, according to the power that, you see that little, that worketh in us? The word worketh means to be at work, to put forth power, to be operative. When we yield to the Spirit of God, he is operative in our lives. This enlivens us and allows us to bear fruit for him. That's what John chapter 15 is all about. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. Look at the end there. For without me, ye can do nothing. 
His grace empowers us for service. His grace enlivens us for living. Thank God for His grace. We see number three this morning. We see number one, there's a statement about God's greatness. Number two, there's a statement about God's greatness. Number three, there's a statement about God's glory. Paul ends his doxology of praise with a grand statement about the glory of God. Notice what he says. We're there. Look at these two verses again. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Notice what he says about God and his glory. Letter A underneath there's a statement about God's glory. We see the place of his glory. It says, to him be glory where? In the church. That phrase reminds us of the fact that the sole purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. That's our job as a church. He is glorified in the church. Because why would, why, why would it be a place where he's... Because guess what? A church is made up of sinners. All undeserving sinners. And because of that, he loved us enough. All we deserve is hell, but he loved us enough to send his son to die for us. He reached out in love and grace and drew us unto him. He saved us and he changed our lives forever. And as we live for him and as we honor his word, he receives the glory. As we do the first commandment, love him with everything that we have. And number two, love our neighbor as ourself. He's glorified. As we preach the gospel, he's glorified. As we worship him, he's glorified. As we sing, as we pray, as we work, as we serve in the church, he is glorified. The church is an organism that exists to bring glory to the name of God. And when we function as we should, that's exactly what we do. The problem in most churches today is we do not do what the purpose of the church is. We have all these problems in the church. We have all these people mad at so-and-so. Sister so-and-so's mad at brother so-and-so, whatever the case may be. And so we cannot do what God's called us to do. How shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another, right? But in the church today, we're so divided on so many things. and have so many issues. We're not bringing glory to God. You cannot bring glory to God when there's division. It can never happen. And that's why may it be said of Victory Baptist Church that when God looks down, that when he sees us, that we bring him glory because we're a unified people. Yeah, we're going to have different opinions. Yeah, we're not always going to agree with everyone. But our purpose is to bring glory to him. That should be what unifies us. That should be the one accord that everything that's done in this place brings him honor, brings him glory. That's what church should be about. See, we've got to keep that truth in mind about the business of the church Everything we do in this place, everything we do, should be to bring honor and glory to the Lord. Every decision we make, every dollar we spend, every missionary we support, every job we assign, everything you do should be done to the glory of God. And whether you lead singing, whether you sing in the choir, whether you empty a trash can, whether you mow the grass outside, whether you clean a bathroom, whatever the case may be, everything should be done to the glory of God. What could change in churches today if we would get our focus back on bringing praise and glory to Him? He deserves it and He's worthy of it this morning. Everything that we do, we must not work for the applause of men. We must not work to make a name for ourselves. We must work for the glory of God and to give our Savior a good name. 1 Corinthians 10.31 
Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I know in this church, I'm sure when I've seen you eat around Thanksgiving and Christmas, you do that to the glory of God. That's a good Baptist church. They eat well, right? It's a sign of a good Baptist church. Potlucks and things like that. We see the place of His glory, letter B. We see the person of His glory. It's Jesus Christ. God glorifies in His Son. Jesus is still the one whom the Father is well pleased. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Since God is glorified in His Son, we should be in the business of making much of Jesus Christ. Just the other day I was talking to a man. He was here doing some work. Cleaned our carpets. A lot of the stains came out. The carpets look a lot better. He, um, he goes to a Mormon church. And he said, we're really not much. He was talking about that there are not much differences between the two and going through all of that. And I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy that likes to argue with people because they're always wrong and I'm right. And if they're not going to see the way I do, there's no point in arguing with them. There's just no point. And uh, they're not going to change me. That's not going to happen because I know I'm right. No, I'm just teasing. There are t- one out of every 30 examples I'm wrong, but no, I'm wrong probably a lot more often than I'm right when it's all said and done. But I said, there's a big difference. I said, we're all about Jesus. He said, well, Jesus is important to us, but he's, there's more to it. Nope. It's all about Jesus. That's what it's all about. Jesus Christ is the person of his glory. And church, we need to do a good job to remember and maybe we should be more mindful of the fact, you think about it, we need to examine our music, our preaching, our service, and our motives and be sure that everything that we do is to magnify the name of Jesus Christ and bring glory to God through his son, Jesus Christ. If we talk about Jesus, if we preach about Jesus, if we sing about Jesus, if we praise the name of Jesus, if we are head over heels about Jesus, God will be glorified by our lives. And church, that's that type of attitude you need to bring with you when we come to church. You know, it's amazing. And sometimes you should, sometimes you should switch with me and you come sit on the platform and get to see what I see up here. You get to look at this handsome face most of the time. And that's, you know, some of you, you should see the face I got to look. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lori, don't even go there. I was going to, she, she had a thought run through her head. I can tell by the look on her face. You just keep that to yourself and get right at the altar in a few minutes. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. there's some people that are, that are quick like the devil on thinking of things, and she would be one of those people. And uh, I don't even know where I was going now. I was going somewhere with all that until someone distracted me. Yeah, I was off the Mormon guy already. I was trying to get off of that. I want him to listen to my sermon and never clean our carpets again. He did a good job. But it would do us... Do we want God glorified when we come to church? How can he be glorified when we walk in the door thinking about everything going on in our lives and we aren't exalting the one who brings him glory? First couple songs, some people they still aren't even into anything. And I get it. Some people don't even know some of the songs. I get it. Trying to figure out the words and everything else. And I get that. But if you don't come glorifying Jesus, how's God ever going to be praised by the things that we do? When you come to church, think about Jesus. Last service, I had to say, put your phones away because people were texting during singing time. How are we focusing on Jesus if our phone is out and we're texting somebody? But it's an emergency. For one hour, you can't focus on Jesus. There's a problem. 
big problem. When we come to church, he should be what we focus on. Not where we're going for lunch in a little bit. Not if the pastor's going to preach really long. I didn't go that long last service. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Am I going to like the songs today? Do you realize I could care less if you like a song that's sung? They're sung to bring praise to God. We're praising him. I'm not praising you. It's probably the songs you would pick are all songs you like for yourself anyways, and what praise does God get when you're just singing songs? You, you need to praise him. It needs to be about him. God is glorified through his son, Jesus Christ. As you go through your week, how much is God glorified by your life? How much do you focus on Jesus? And I'll tell you how much God's glorified by your life during the week. I mentioned it last service. You know one reason why we sometimes uh, we don't sing out very much and praise God at church? Because we've lived like the devil all week long. And we're convicted about coming before God and praising Him. Glorify Him during the week. You have the power to. It lives inside of you. It resides in you. He's given you all you need to live a godly life. In the church, He is to be glorified. Jesus Christ should be lifted up. In our homes, we'd do ourselves a big favor if we had lift up Jesus Christ. Hey, we'd do ourselves a good favor in our lives if we just get to the point where we make much of Jesus. Because that's what heaven's going to be all about. Have you not realized that yet? God is preparing a bride for his son. At the wedding in heaven, it's not, the bride's not going to matter. That's not how it is here on earth. It's all about when that bride comes through the door. In heaven, the bride's not going to matter. It's all about the groom. Because God makes much of his son. And he's glorified in his son. And you can glorify God by glorifying his son and making much of Jesus. That's why, show me a church that's not lifting up Jesus. I'll show you a church that's not glorifying God. Show me a homeless not lifting up Jesus Christ, and I'll show you a homeless not glorifying God. Show me a Christian not lifting up Jesus. Jesus should be on your vocabulary every day, and not just in bad words. And shame on a Christian if they ever take God's name in vain or say, the other day I was with someone, they said Jesus Christ. They claimed to be a Christian. They weren't using it in a good sense. I almost smacked them. I remember the Bible says a pastor shouldn't be a striker. So I asked Lori to take care of it for me, and she took care of it. <coughs> need to glorify Jesus Christ and lift him up. And let her see, we see the permanence of his glory. Look at what it says at the end of verse number 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Do you see that phrase? It says, throughout all ages, world without end. That literally means unto the generation of the age of ages. God will be receiving glory from his church because of his son, even when time comes to an end and we're in eternity. One day, Jesus will come for his church and take his bride to heaven to be in his Father's house forever. And we'll spend eternity glorifying the Son. But you should start doing that now in your life. Johann Sebastian Bach said, All music shall have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. Where there is not remembered, there is no real music, but only a devilish hubbub. I like hubbub. At the top of uh, every composition that Bach wrote, he put these two letters, JJ. Those initials stand for Jesus Yova, which means Jesus help me. Bach ended every composition with the letters SDG, Sola de Grata, which means to God alone the praise. Bach had, at the beginning and the end of every piece of music he composed, his goal was to bring glory to God. That should be the desire of every Christian's heart.
Today's the day you should start bringing glory to the Son. Say, Pastor, we've already said, I can't do this Christian life. He's given you the ability to be able to through his power. That same power that did the great things through the apostles in Acts chapter number one and going forward is the same power that lives inside of us to empower us to do the things that we're supposed to. He deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. But he will not get the glory in the life of a believer who isn't letting the power of God reside on them and the love of Christ manifesting itself and the fullness of God being what it should be. And he's able to do it in your life. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. We're going to get ready for an invitation today. I'm not going to ask any Christians if the Lord spoke to their heart today.